Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. I'm Marcus Groda, your co-host for this program. I'm joined by my oldest son, John Mark. Hello, John Mark. Hey, Dad. Good to be back. I'm coming to you from the offices of the Coming Home Network in central Ohio. And John Mark's coming from, I guess, what would be called our northern office up near Toledo. And, uh, and thank all of you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture, in which we're going through our continual reflection on a treatise by St. Cyprian on the Lord's Prayer. And he was a bishop and martyr in the third century. And he, this particular selection was in the Liturgy of the Hours a couple weeks ago. And it seemed like a, a really fine collection of ideas that really describe what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so John Mark and I thought we'd go through that. Just to, as a reminder to read a little bit of what Cyprian said, he. And this was on the section about thy will be done. Cyprian said, we pray not that God should do his will, but that we may carry out his will, that God's will be done in us. So if his will is to be done in us, we have need of his will, that is his help and protection. No one can be strong by his own strength or secure, save by God's mercy and forgiveness. And then Cyprian went on to give a list of qualities which together, he said, is, quote, what it means to wish to be a co-heir with Christ, to keep God's command. That is what it means to do the will of the Father. All Christ did, all that he taught, was the will of God. Yeah. And it, it, one of the things that's amazing about studying this, this thing from Cyprian is precisely not just his list of qualities, but also his example of that, this small prayer that is central to our faith. It's so easy for it to, to become rote, to say it over and over again, but there's so much there. Yeah. So the whole gospel is, is in mysterious ways contained in, in a, a lifelong reflection of the Lord's prayer and the different pieces of it. Yeah, yeah we say how often thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. We, we just quickly jump past, wait a second. Yeah. The will of God that it be done in our yeah. life. What does that mean? What does that entail? How many aspects of our life does that encumber, uh, encroach on, if you will? Somebody say, wait a second, you know, uh, do I really want this to happen? Well, if you want to be a co-heir with Christ, Cyprian says, this is, this is a list of the qualities. And he began that list. We talked a couple weeks ago about humility in our daily lives. And then last week, an unwavering faith. And this week, Cyprian moves on to a moral sense of modesty in conversation. Now, that's the way the Liturgy of the Hours translated what actually was probably maybe two Greek words. And I don't have the Greek in front of me, but our good friend Dr. Kenneth Howell did a translation of this treatise, and he translated this phrase, moderation in words. Moderation in words. So why would it be that Cyprian might not only have made this list and made this comment about moderation and words as a necessity to being a co-heir with Christ, but maybe the whole treatise? And I thought, John Mark, before we jumped into some scriptures which we're going to reflect, I wanted to mention something that helps us understand the context in which Cyprian was writing in the third century. What's neat about Cyprian is he was born around 210 or so. 
he converted from being a pagan to the Christian faith around 235. Now, if you realize, 235 is about exactly 200 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord. So 200 years, that's not much less than how long the United States has been a country. Since, and in this case, 200 years since the death and resurrection. So Christianity has spread, and this is what, I'm reading this from an eight-volume history written by Father Moret in French, and then translated by Father Thompson into English around 1930. It's a fine set, but this is what he writes. So this is just the time before Cyprian is writing. He said, the pagan atmosphere, which the martyrs' enthusiasm held in check in times of persecution, slowly recovered its sway over souls, which it encompassed in various ways, in customs and practices of public as well as private life, in official festivals and works of art everywhere could be seen the imprint of a religion that was one with the family and civil institutions. The, he says, Christians were marrying unbelievers, were painting their faces, were tinting their eyelids like pagan dandies. They were again going to the theaters, even to the gladiatorial combats. It seemed possible to believe as a Christian and to live as a pagan. Origen, a great writer of the th early 3rd century, bemoaned the way Christians were neglecting the church devotions, the way luxury was replacing the poverty of old, the deacons' lack of de delicacy in administering the goods of the church. Bishops yielded to the general decline of sturdiness, seeking to grow rich through, own, through commerce and looking down on the poor. The, I mean, the point was, there we were in the early third century. It often seemed that when persecution happened, it was calling people into active, committed expression of their faith. But when, when a time of persecution passed, all of a sudden we Christians became lax. And that was the context in which Bishop Cyprian was motivated to write an article on the very prayer that all these Christians were saying, but taking for granted as they were slowly succumbing to their pagan background. Wow. So just as you said earlier, it's something we say all the time. The question is, how much are we like these Christians today yeah. in the 21st century? Yeah. His list is exhaustive, uh, but it's, again, it calls us to recognize again that uh, seeking to do God's will. Sometimes we think of God's will as something out there, like some Gnostic secret knowledge we have to go find. But as we've talked about a lot in the past weeks, it involves the, the opportunities and the responsibilities and the people that God puts into our everyday life. And so anytime we try to compartmentalize subconsciously or consciously compartmentalize the faith, we close it off. We make it sterile. We, uh, we contracept it, you know, because it wants to spill out and, and manifest in, in all aspects of our life. You know, we got our, our money, our time, our relationships, our words, you know, even, even uh, sometimes we, we don't think of our everyday conversation, the way that we're just simply speaking as uh, a, an important moral issue, an important opportunity, uh, a, a battleground for virtue or vice, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the context here is 200 years 
or so after the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord, already we have Christians who are compromising and becoming blind to how they have compromised in to their culture and maybe just doing the ritual rote and not listening to what they're saying in the liturgy, for example, uh, not recognizing this contradiction. And so Cyprian writes this letter to awaken them. Hey, when you say, thy will be done, what do you mean by that? And he gives us list. This is what it means. So now we talk about a moderation in words. Why is that important? Well, what John Mark and I will do, we've got five scriptures that we like to reflect on in our short time. And we begin in, in an Old Testament. Now, I know this is a quote from a part of the Old Testament that many of our separate brethren don't include in their Bibles, the book of Sirach. But it seems that in the time of the early church, these wisdom literatures were very popular. And so Sirach has a great quote that seems to be a background to the James passage we'll look at later. In Sirach 22, 27, the author writes, Oh, that a guard were set over my mouth and a seal of prudence upon my lips, that it may keep me from falling, so that my tongue may not destroy me. I mean, that scripture is a great summary of the battle expressed many times in the Psalms in the Old Testament that would have been the backdrop to our Lord's warnings, to James' warnings, to Paul's warnings about the battle with the tongue the battle with our words. Uh, in a way, Cyprian and all these are saying, the biggest challenge is that if we're to follow Christ, we need to be the king ourselves of a kingdom about this big around. Here. That's just this. And everything that's in our heart, in our mind, gets expressed here. And this writer of Sirach is bemoaning the fact, dear Lord, please give me strength to control this little kingdom, because what comes out of this little kingdom can destroy me. Yeah, yeah I, I love this. I love this passage. Um, and one of the reasons I love it is that it mentions prudence. And as I've said, I, I have a real passion for the Cardinal virtues have been making a study of them. And again, what's interesting about having prudence in this context is that prudence isn't just a virtue. It, prudence is, in, in an important sense, the mother of all moral virtue. This is something that's that's real strong in Aquinas, and you know, Joseph Pieper you know, talks a lot about that in his representation of Thomas. Uh, and, and what that means is prudence being the mother of the moral virtues is one way you can boil that down is that you're your reason, as you're saying, your reason, your will, you have to be in charge of your members, of your faculties, of your passions. And in many ways, throughout these scriptures uh, regarding the tongue, regarding speech, we we see one of the things that's going on is a is another manifestation of this of this relationship between the will and the passions. You know, does the dog wag the tail or does the tail wag the dog? Does the charioteer drive the chariot, you know, and guide the horses, or are the horses allowed to just kind of go where they where they will? And again, the goal of the, those images is to recognize that our, our passions, our emotions, you know, the, the expressions of our heart, the movements of our heart, 
Those aren't bad. They're not to be gotten rid of, but they can't rule us. We have to be in control of them. Otherwise, they, they'll go all over the place. And to the degree that they're, they're not submitted to by our will to the purposes God has set us to, they remain unruly. But the more that we bring them under, under our, our conscious direction and ordering, and we you expose them to the grace of God, and we, we say sorry when we mess them up, um, they become ordered and they become to work along with us. And so our tongue can be a source of, as it will say later in, in a, one of the later verses, uh, it can be a source of life or death, grace or, or great evil. And so, um, but it starts by this seal of prudence, by, by uh, engaging our reason uh, so that it's in control and our passions kind of come second and are guided and ordered thereby. It's interesting to, to reflect on the idea that when Sirach was probably written, in the Greek philosophical world, which would have been happening at the same time, the idea of the cardinal virtues, which w was very popular and, mm -hmm. and being expounded upon uh, by yeah. the Greek philosophers. So we see this in the Jewish world as well as the, the Greek world. But our, our Lord goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to reflect on this too, because even though people know this, they're, they're limiting the understanding of God's law to, to the letter of it rather the intent. So John Mark, why don't you take us into the Sermon sure. on the Mount? Sure. So reading from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to men of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, shall be liable to the hell of fire. So just as you were saying here, again, and th this is a theme throughout the New Testament that, that Christ, you know, begins to, to pull away this or, or explore this separation made between uh, what goes on out here, our external words and actions, and then what's, what's in our heart or what's coming forth from our heart. Um, and what's interesting that, you know, a, a point that could be made throughout um, drawing from this scripture verse, but as well as in the others is when we talk about moderation in words or modesty in, in uh, conversation, I think one thing to, to keep in mind too, that it's not even just conversation that happens out here. Well, I think more fundamentally, we're almost talking about our, our, um, our, communicati our communicative property, our ability to speak and to form words and ideas. Because obviously if I'm angry with my brother in my heart, well, what's going on? I'm t I might not be speaking to someone else, but I'm telling myself a certain story. I'm, I'm re rehearsing or retelling or going over a familiar narrative. I'm telling myself a certain story. And the, the things we tell ourselves, just as the things we tell others, those have great power, great import. You know, words uh, are, are sacramental in an important way. I think I remember Dr. Peter Kreft pointed this out once that you know, our word sacramental will go to somebody and say, I love you or I hate you and see if they have an effect. They do. Words, words have an effect on other people. And so, but they, it begins in here in our heart and what proceeds from our heart impacts us and impacts the people around us. And so, yeah, yeah there's, we have to bring that into the realm of uh, our, our understanding of our moral life and engage it. Well, there's so much we can talk to in this. Yeah. One thing makes me realize, think about is back in the 60s, 70s, 
uh, modern counseling had got into, especially for Rogers and others, this idea that there are real problems is that we're keeping everything inside. So everything went to the other extreme. You just got to let it out. Everything out. And, and, yeah. and you didn't care how it affected other people because it's about you. It's what's good for you. Right. You got to let it out. Yeah. Well, that's the opposite extreme of what our Lord's talking about. He's not saying you keep it all in, but he's talking about you got to have some wisdom on what you do let out and how you let it out and how it affects other people. I mean, sometimes you are justified in being angry, but it's but but as Paul will say later, be angry, but don't sin. Yeah. There's that that balance. Again, we could talk more on it. I want to expand a little bit more on the uh, to another section in the Sermon on the Mount, where in Matthew five thirty three through thirty seven, our Lord says, "Again, you have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perf- perform to the Lord what you have sworn." But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is a footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Again, more than this comes from evil. Well, there's so much that a commentator would love to reflect on all the aspects of what our Lord is saying, but it it really seems like this is where Cyprian is getting this odd, this idea of moderation in words. Moderation in words, which seems to be built on the foundation of what Cyprian has already said. Humility in our daily lives, it begins there. Because often the, the, the swearing that our Lord is talking about is being, is boasting, uh, braggadocious. Uh, arrogant, um, and rather he's saying, no, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, he's saying anything you swear, you don't have control over anyway. Just be honest. Let your yes be yes. Your no be no. Reminds us of a day and age when, when a handshake was sufficient because a person's word, their whole life was a statement of honesty. And in some way, I think Cyprian is saying, at that time, we need to get back to that. As Origen said, uh, when I read that passage from the, from the history book, they, they've forgotten the simplicity of old. The foundation, this is already 200, just 200 years into Christianity. Now we're 2,000 years. Have we forgot the simplicity of old? Moderation in words. Think about in fact, oh, I didn't, I didn't pick this passage. We could have. I think it's, I forget, Revelations, where we'll be held accountable for every word that comes out of this little kingdom called our mouth. Moder- think about what we're going to say before we say it. James talks about that also. In fact, talk about James. Demark, why did you go into the James passage? Okay. This is James uh, chapter three, verses three through 12. If we put bits into the mouths of horses that they may obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is an unrighteous world among our members, staining the whole body, 
setting on fire the cycle of nature and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and curse. My brethren, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh water and brackish? Can a fig tree, my brethren, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Yeah. So again, this theme continues. There's this, you know, our tongue can't, our tongue is the, sh- is the ship, it's the horses, it's, uh, it has to be guided. Um, and again, so often, again, I say uh, earlier, does the, the dog wag the tail, does the tail wag the dog? So often we feel first or we speak first and then we, we, our, our reason comes along to try to rationalize what's already happened. You know, we're often cleaning up the messes made by our untempered passions, by our unbridled tongue. Um, and that takes practice. Again, that's, that's virtue, both moderation, whether, you know, the, the two translations, whether it's moderation or modesty, those are both sub-virtues connected to temperance. And temperance is this, it's not destroying of our desires or our passions, but it's tempering them, ordering them toward a purpose. Um, There's so much so that, that James yeah. says in here, I think particularly the idea of, of uh, um, with our mouth, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. When you don't have control of what comes out of your mouth, every aspect of the spiritual battle is going to spew forth. Mm-hmm. And there'll be times with under the inspiration of the Spirit, we might say something very edifying. And then when we're not thinking, we'll do the exact opposite. And you know who sees that, John Mark? Mm. Our children. Our children. In fact, they may remember more the the bad stuff that comes out than the good stuff. But Dad, you said that. Lord help us. Yeah. Yeah, in some degree, the the measure... Again, this that is really interesting. This contrast between blessing the blessing God and cursing men. Um, again, with our with our passions, with our 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 tongue, kind of going where it will. Sometimes we do good, or we say something. At least that appears good on the outside. We say nice words. We say nice things. But we do it when we feel like it. You know, we we bless God, and maybe we bless men with with kind words when the feeling so moves us but still there's a problem there because we're still just operating out of how i'm feeling at a given moment you know and and to some degree the measure of whether or not those blessings are real and authentic whether they come they proceed from our heart and not simply from our our ever-changing passions is whether when the going gets tough on that day when i don't feel like speaking kindly and holding my tongue when i ought to hold it we have great control over our words on a Sunday morning in the context <laughs> of the holy. And then, we'd le- and then we'd leave and go play golf with our buddies and then our languages. Oh, boy. Yeah. 
or that hour before before mass on Sunday morning when we're trying to get the kids dressed. Yeah, is the tone controlled then? That's the question. Yeah. Oh Lord, Lord help us. Give us grace as in Syriac. Lord help me have control over this tongue that might destroy me. Maybe one one more scripture. We've looked at the Old Testament Syriac. We've listened to the Sermon on the Mount. We've listened to James, the first bishop or Jerusalem, maybe one of the earliest writers of the New Testament. Now we'll look at one of the later writers of the New Testament, St. Paul from the book of Ephesians, when he writes, therefore putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I almost want to say what more could be said from this wonderful selection by St. Paul. But he does talk about, on the one hand, there are times when we are justified in being angry about something that we experience in our life, in our family, in our work, in our world, in our culture. But it's what we do with that anger is the responsibility of the responsible use of our will, our intellect and will. That's why our consciences need to be formed by the church so that we know what we ought to do with anger. Yeah, I mean, anger is not a, a bad thing. It's, it's a gift of God, just like all of our passions. You know, it, it means something has occurred. It means that there's a problem. Now, what the problem is and whether we interpret it rightly and what we do with it, that's another question, but, but it's not bad in itself. And so yeah, I love the, the, do not let the sun go down in your anger. What's implied there? What's, it, what's he really talking about? It's, what he, he's talking about is, you know, our anger is there for a purpose. It's to, it's, to, it's to help direct our will to place our shoulder against the barrier of sin to push. Not other people, um, not against God, but against some imperfection in ourselves or some situation that I need to take action in. And to hold that anger in oftentimes when it's directed at other people and to go to bed, um, uh, I mean, sometimes that might be the wise thing, but I think the situation he's talking about here is when rather than take the action I ought to take to make the apology or to seek out and reconcile with my brother or my spouse or my ch child, to hold that in and to nurse it and, and keep it in there. Um, and so we, Seems like an appropriate way to end is with the prayer from Sirach. Oh, that a guard were set yeah. over my mouth in a seal of prudence upon my lips, that it may keep me from falling, so that my tongue may not destroy me. St. Cyprian is calling us to ask for grace, so that our words are pure expressions of our faith in Christ. Thanks, John Mark, for joining me today on this. And all of you, thank you for joining us on the episode of Deep in Scripture. We look forward to being with you again next week. God bless. 
Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.